Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and joining us for this episode on Psalm 11, I'm very happy to welcome Grant Sork, our youth intern here at Granite Springs. Grant has been an intern with our youth ministry for several years now and is finishing up his final year at William Jessup University. He is a huge fan of Spider-Man, but even more significantly, Grant brings a special joy and energy into whatever group he's a part of, which is balanced, I think, by his willingness to engage with vulnerability and honesty. And I'm sure you're going to enjoy this special combination that he brings as he's on our podcast today. So to get things underway, here's Grant reading Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in the heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur, A scorching wind will be their lot, for the Lord is righteous, he loves justice, the upright will see his face. Grant, welcome to Curious Psalms. Hey, thank you for having me. You know, a little behind the scenes here for the listener at home, we're recording this at a distance, we're not together, so you're in your apartment and I'm here in my office, and we're navigating some internet connections, but nothing can stop our connection, Grant. So mm. I'm, I'm delighted to have you here <laughs> and get to talk to you about Psalm 11. Happy to be here. Yes. Well, Grant, is there anyone you want to say hi to? You know, I've never done this before, but if you have any shout outs at the top of the show, oh. your mom, anyone who might be listening. Oh, man. Yeah, let's do some shout outs. Yeah. Shout out to all the people who I'd hope be listening to this episode, my family, my my mass amount of friends, the hundreds upon hundreds of friends that I have, because I am just so popular among so many people. I just hope they all just have such an enriching experience listening to well, this podcast. I'm not going to lie, this is why I had you on. I was, I was looking forward to the audience that you would draw, so... Oh my goodness. Oh, well, longtime listeners know the format's really simple. You know the questions that are coming, but we talk through these three questions. What stands out to you in reading the psalm? What do we learn about God from this psalm? And then how does this psalm help us to pray? So let's dive in looking at the seven verses of Psalm 11. So Grant, the first question, Mm -hmm. what stood out to you in reading this psalm? Yeah, the first thing that would stood out to me, I would say, would be a fire and brimstone kind of feel to it. When he's talking about the wicked and talking about the punishment that's coming their way, I am not used to studying those types of scriptures in the Bible. And because, you know, just something that's kind of, yeah, something that I'm not used to. So I think that definitely caught my eye at first. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, like how how are we going to put a positive spin on this one, right? When it kind of sounds very <laughs> intense, right? But it is scripture and like there is joy to be found in this for sure after reading it and studying it some more and but yeah i would just say the first thing that stood out to me was kind of that 
the intensity of the words against against the wicked in this passage. Yeah, it's no joke. A lot of the Psalms have this quality, right, where there is something deeply kind of visceral and powerful to the language that's used. And here, the classic language for verse 6, my translation is fiery coals and burning sulfur. But the classic way of talking about that is fire and brimstone. So it's like literally, here's the phrase that I think a lot of us, at least I I can speak from my experience, are raised to kind of shy away from, right? Oh, the fire and brimstone preachers, those are kind of the people who don't understand grace properly. They don't have the full picture. Right. But here but here in the midst of the psalm, <laughs> the psalmist is using these. So we have to wrestle with it, as you so well said. I'm curious, uh, this is kind of a follow-up question, Grant, but I'd be curious to hear from you. You know, you said there's still there's joy to be found in this psalm, even in the midst of the intensity of this language. You know, for you as you kind of read it some more, where did that come out for you? Yeah, that came out for me when kind of reading it some more. And I use the blue letter commentary to kind of help me when I decipher passages and I'm having a hard time grasping sure. the d- deeper meaning and, and things like that. And I think after reading it some more, the joy came out for me when, because this is coming from an era in David's life where there's like no hope, right? You have Saul after him, he's in hiding and all these different things are against David. And those who, you know, where David's counsel at the time were telling him things. And, you know, it says right here, it quotes it in the scripture saying, flee like a bird to your mountain. Like saying like, what can the righteous even do? What can you as a good person even do in a situation where all the evil people are turning against you right now? There's nothing you can do. We we just got to flee. And so, and I think a lot of people may feel that way, especially when, you know, in, in, in today's context, there's a lot of people you know, whatever, whatever context they may be in, where they feel like, like, what, what can, what can I do in my situation when there's, Hmm. when there's evil people and what can I do when it seems that the evil people are always have the upper hand? What can I do when corruption has the upper hand? But David's here to say, how is that even possible? David's saying that in this context, from an era of the, corruption seeming to have the upper hand he's saying the god whom i serve the creator of the universe is still in control he's still in power Mm -hmm. and so with that reality david having grasped that reality he's saying god is still present and where he is so he's ignoring the the talks of of being told to flee and run away instead he's saying god is present God's not running away. He's still in control. And so I will trust in that and not flee like I'm being advised to do. Yeah. I'm fascinated by you used the word corruption a couple of times. And what caught my eye was uh, the way that the wicked are described in this Mm. psalm. They really only get one description that comes in verse five. The wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. In other words, the only real description of the wicked other than what they do is that they love violence. And that just raised a whole host of questions for me because I think uh, we might usually think, oh, when the Bible talks about the wicked, it talks about people who worship other gods or sin in all these ways. And I wonder if the psalm is helping us cut to the core of who the wicked are. 
which are they a people of violence? And you use the word corruption, which when people are in leadership, I think there is kind of a violence to corruption, people Mm. taking advantage of other people. And this was one of those moments as I read that it forces you to reflect what what is violence here? There is perhaps the image of literal violence. Maybe these are literal assassins coming for David, but also definitely David has enemies who are constantly speaking against him. And so there's a kind of verbal violence that's potentially envisioned here. And it just gave me pause to ask, you know, where in my life am I loving violence? I might not articulate it that way, right? I might not say, oh, I love violence so much. But then when I cut someone down with a harsh word or a word that's maybe even too quick or resort to anger as a default lashing out in a moment, how is that embodying loving violence? So I was just really intrigued by that very succinct description of the wicked where I'm like, okay, if we're going to describe the wicked, it's going to take us five Psalms to list all the things they do. But at the core of the wicked in this Psalm anyway, are the ones who love violence. Yeah. I, I, I loved what you have to say about, about that, the core being violence. I never looked at it that way about, yeah, at the core of wickedness, it seems to be that David is saying that that violence is at the core of that wickedness. And that's interesting because when you're saying like, it doesn't have to mean necessarily just physical violence, but it could be verbal violence and things like that. And that kind of makes me think that maybe violence in this context means anything that relates to putting people against each other or or combating Mm -hmm. somebody, right? Almost like loving, loving conflict, loving separation, loving division in that way where like, you know, In like today's context, it can be politics, loving the conflict there and really embodying that sort of violence in that sense. And also, you know, as a college student, you know, I've been around the environment where, you know, in a small college at that. So I've been around the environment where, you know, people dislike certain people. And so therefore, Mm -hmm. you know, things are going to get said about other people and where gossip kind of comes into into play there and then seeing the outcome of that where now you have factions against each other. You have this person in their factions, this person in their faction kind of pitted against each other. And that's a form of wickedness. It's putting people against each other. It's it's embodying this sort of conflict, right? So I don't know. That was just something that it made me think about. But Yeah, the psalm, I think, pushes on us in helpful ways to kind of examine ourselves, right? There's a self-examination that it invites us to. Let, shall we move on to our second question, Grant? Yeah, let's do it. All right. What do we learn about God from this psalm? Mm. Yeah. I mean, David says pretty clearly at the end that God is is somebody who loves justice, who hates wickedness, and who desires the upright to, to turn to him and see him so that therefore he can bring justice to them, right? And I think it's... That's something in itself that is very peace-giving and joy-giving to me, where we can take comfort in knowing that God loves justice, where, because, you know, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with this, where, you know, there's some people, including me, that have been in seasons where it feels like, you know, we're down and out, things are hard, not going our way. And maybe we convince ourselves and, and other people tell us that, you know, this is good, like 
God wants this to happen so that you can be a better person and all those things, right? Where there is truth to that, where God can can strengthen you in the midst of those dark times. But I think we sometimes forget that God also hates the wrong that's being done to us. Mm. And we, we may focus so much on that God wants to use this situation. And sometimes we forget that God is also a God who also hates the fact that we're having to go through a hardship like that, that we're having to suffer the effects that corruption has and yeah. to understand that that is a reality and to understand that God ultimately wants justice more than, you know, more than he wants wickedness to happen. That's important to, <laughs> yeah. to understand and know. And, and David has really gotten a grasp of that in this Psalm, which is very, I think, empowering. It's so interesting, Grant. I always find it fascinating. Sometimes in these conversations, the things that my eye are drawn to are the same, and sometimes they're completely different. And in this case, that he loves justice was the exact same phrase that I was reflecting on when I was thinking about this question. Mm. And one of the things to just kind of build on what you're saying, really, is I was struck by the reminder that this is not a separate part of God. What I mean by that is I think sometimes it can be tempting to think that God is loving. There's sort of a loving side to him. And then there's a just side of him. Right. And that those are in tension. Like God has this internal battle, internal battle, <laughs> internal battle. You know, he's kind of warring within himself. Do I love these people or do I enact justice on the world? And the fact that he loves justice, this simple phrase here, I think reminds us that God is one. He's united. The same act of love for God is also equally an act of justice. An act of justice for God has to be an act of love. We can't separate the two, if that makes sense. And so he's not at war with himself. He's not a split personality here. Mm. All of this is flowing from the fullness of who he is. He loves justice. Yeah. And so the same, in the same way that he enacts love, he will enact justice. I think that's a significant reminder sometimes when we want to split God apart, so to speak. I really love that idea of, yeah, just that simplicity that God is is one and united and not split like that. So, Grant, our third and final question, how does this psalm help us to pray? Yeah, I think this is very empowering, I think, in regards to prayer. I think that this gives us that reality that God does hate corruption, does hate wrongdoing, and therefore wants us to also desire justice, right? So if God is somebody who loves justice, if God is someone who desires justice, it's okay for us to desire that too. It's okay for us to desire that when we see the corruption going on in the world, whether it be in politics and in, in our in our mm. social situations and even as something as tight as maybe just like our, our friend circles, family circles, if we see corruption, if we see injustice being done, it's okay for us to desire justice. I'm kind of calling back to what I talked about earlier, where sometimes we can be so focused on how does God want this to be a good thing, where this hardship we're going through or this wickedness that's being used against me, like what does God want to do something that's good? And that's a part of it, but however, kind of wanting to also go towards the reality that God also hates that and doesn't want that to happen, where we can pray mm -hmm. God this is injustice that's happened to me right now and i recognize it as injustice and i know that you do too and i'm asking you you know through your power 
because I know that we can't do it. I, I can't do anything alone in my power, but I'm asking you in your power, somehow bring justice. I'm, I'm, hmm. I'm pleading to you for justice right now. And however God wants to answer that prayer and whatever timing he answers that prayer, you know, his ways are above our ways. We're not going to understand that part of it. But I think God wants us to know that he does care about justice. He loves justice. Therefore, we should care about it too. And so when we see mm-hmm. it going on to others, not just ourselves, but when we see it happening to other people, ourselves, all of that, we're being called to pray for that, I think, to pray for a reality to, to an end of corruption, to the coming of justice that God wants to bring. That's so helpful, Grant. I think that's in so many ways what you're saying is the antithesis of these advisors who have despaired, who are sort of like, this is the way the world is. And, you know, basically flee to the mountain, flee like a bird to your mountain, which I just love that phrase. Yeah. Flee like a bird to your mountain, you know, <laughs> get out of here because there's just no hope. And this is kind of the reality that we're experiencing. But the psalm pushes on us. I think one thing that it helps remind us of is that we need constant reminders and we need to practice this in our prayers that our experienced reality is not all of reality. Mm. That's so much the turn that's happening in this psalm, right? The experienced reality of verses two and three of the futility and the relentlessness of the wicked. David is then saying in verses four through seven, that is not all of reality. Mm-hmm. And and our pr- prayer, praying this psalm is really an invitation to lift our eyes, so to speak, not to ignore what's going on around us, right? It's not to say like, oh, like none of this matters anymore because God is in his holy temple. He's on his heavenly throne. But it is to say there is more going on here than we might tend to be aware, at least initially. And I think praying a psalm like this helps us lift our heads, right, from our own troubles as well and from our temptations to despair, like you were saying, I think so well. Well, Grant, I just want to say thanks for your reflections here. First of all, I always appreciate when people are approaching the Psalms. And one of the beautiful things about the Psalms is they can be approached with our own stories. Mm -hmm. So even as you're reflecting about how uh, you experience violence, quote unquote, in a college setting, right? The Psalms are so universal. They speak to us in all our different contexts, including in in a small college setting all the way through the rest of our lives. So I appreciate you kind of bringing your perspective and bringing your honesty and your reflections as we talked about Psalm 11 today. Yeah. Yeah. I just thank you for, yeah, inviting me to have this opportunity to talk about this in this setting. And yeah, this is great. And giving me a chance to, you know, study my favorite book of the Bible some more. I love the Psalms and David, especially. Yeah. Can't get enough of that. Yeah. That's that's wonderful. Well, our listeners don't know this, but this was by far one of the worst video connections I've ever had. Oh, absolutely. For one of these. Our audio was cutting out, our video was cutting out, but extra kudos to you, Grant, for, like a pro, just picking up on thoughts where they left off, and I, tr- I trust that this conversation, even for listeners, once it's been patched together properly, was still really a gift, so thanks for taking the time. And let's conclude on this end of the psalm that we were reflecting on, too, with our second question once more. The Lord is righteous, he loves justice, the upright will see his face. So friends, go out and pray the Psalms.